Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. According to Divorce.com, which, yeah, I'm surprised that's like an actual website as well, between 40% and 50% of married couples end up filing for divorce. Usually, second marriages have a higher divorce rate of 60%, and coming out on top are third marriages, which end at about a 73% divorce rate. Don't worry. This is not about to be some angry manifesto from a woman who is currently in the middle of her own legal untangling, succumb to wearing the scarlet letter D for soon-to-be divorcee, who's wondering when her mood swings will dissipate, her friends will stop looking at her with squinty eyes and tilted heads every time they ask, how are you? And random books with titles like Letting Go or The Acceptance of Your Anger, even the wild woman's ways will stop magically showing up in her mailbox. No, no, this is not a setup for her woman manifesto, or as I like to call it, a woman festo. This is also not about to be a backward sonnet about the ridiculousness of marriage. I am not here to poo-poo on anyone's I do-do's. I actually love the idea of marriage and the legal joining of two people's lives together in the name of love. It's a beautiful thing that I believe should be honored and celebrated however any couple sees fit. Unfortunately, I started off reading the high percentage of divorce rates in the United States simply because it's true. It's hard to ignore that divorce has become part of many people's lives. And when you've walked through the unfortunate emotional and legal disentanglement of a marriage, you become indoctrinated into a club of divorced people who just fucking get it, for better or worse. Others will try to empathize to no avail, but it's just one of those things that you don't understand unless you've been through it yourself. It's like, if you've never been to Paris, then you don't get what it's like to go to Paris. You can imagine what it may be like to go to Paris, but unless you've actually been there, to see the Eiffel Tower, to bite into a baguette, You won't understand the smells and the sights and the feelings that it means to be in Paris. Except instead of Paris, divorce is more like being stuck in some beige legal room purgatory with bad overhead lighting where you pay a room full of strangers to pick apart your life choices and put those annoying little neon-colored garage sale price tags on your most sentimental belongings, all while requesting tax returns that never seem to be the right tax returns until one day 
it's all unceremoniously over. The one positive of being in the Big D Club, uh, Big Divorce Club, that is, and the accuracy of Divorce.com's reporting of high divorce rates is that you're not alone. And if you feel alone, don't worry. Monica Heisey has got you covered. While her debut novel, Really Good Actually, is not a memoir, Monica felt inspired to write her anti-rom-com after failing to find anything that summed up what she experienced while going through her own divorce at the age of 28. Monica Heisey is a writer and a comedian from Toronto. She has been published in The New Yorker, The New York Times, Vogue Elle, The Guardian, Glamour, New York Magazine, and Vice, among others. She has written for television shows like Schitt's Creek, Workin' Moms, Baroness Von Sketch Show, and more. She currently lives in London, and I cannot recommend her first debut novel, Really Good Actually, enough. Please enjoy my conversation with Monica. That's why has it been sunny at all? Like one day? There was one no. really beautiful day. <laughs> no. Yeah. But it's been a rainy year, I hear. It's like it, there's kind of no time I could have come where it would have been much better. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. I've been, um, I live in Nashville, Tennessee now. So I'm, I've been out of LA for a little bit. Um, but I feel like I've been spoiled. Like it's kind of like uh, Vancouver, Seattle, and London are all the same where every time I've traveled there, it's been beautiful. Like yeah. I've never been to any of those places where it's been like the the weather that, you know, everyone talks about it just being so like biting and rain and cold and depressive. I've always <laughs> been there when it's been like, come live here. It's amazing. Yeah. When it's sunny in London, there's really nothing like it either. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been there now? On and off since 2010. I've been there for like my whole adult life, really. Um, I went over to do grad school and then stayed because like the live comedy and writing scene was just so inspiring and exciting and um, kind of kept coming back for the same reason. And also, I think they make the best television comedy. Yes, that is very true. Um, all right. It, I love your book. And I have like, it's obviously the cover is fantastic as well. It's like this little peekaboo. It starts at the eyes and this like beautiful red hair and an updo. And you just see like black mascara running from the eyes. It's a fantastic cover. And I'm a sucker for a book cover and a wine cover. Like I know you're not supposed to shop by book covers and wine covers, but that is how it's I do a lot. It's the only way shopping. that I buy wine. Like I, I'm not, I don't know anything about wine. I'm like, that looks stylish. <laughs> I'm sure yes, I'm like, mm, this bird looks like the architecture of this bird and tree limb mm -hmm. feels like a good vintage. Yes, that's <laughs> this is exactly what I need. Um, well, just the cover of your book paints such a beautiful picture of what you're going to be diving into. But I also just have to start with the fact that the character in the book is Maggie. Um, you are Monica. <laughs> Similar names. Um, Maggie, at the age of 28, after 10 years of being together, with a partner, um, two years of official marriage, she finds herself getting divorced from a guy named John in an unceremoniously way, which means like no big, you know, screaming match or affair. Um, and you uh, got divorced at 28 as well. Now, is that where the similarities between you and the character of Maggie end? I, I think so. I really... I mean, we, we, we share a physical profile, I think is like the biggest one, but I just knew that I wanted to write about the emotional experience of divorce without kind of digging through my own dirty laundry. And like, it felt a little bit unfair. I think, you know, divorce is two people's story to write my own version of our divorce down and kind of publish it. But I knew I wanted to look at the feelings, which I felt really entitled to explore because um, those are very personal. So I was kind of trying to create a vessel for um, like a character in which I could explore my emotional experience, but who I could also feel free to kind of put through her paces in a different way or make things worse or change things that they're funnier. Or, um, you know, I, I kind of invented a version of myself that had none of the coping mechanisms that helped me get through my divorce. So she's like, a bizarro version of me who's not me. And I certainly didn't behave the way that all the events in the book are fictional. Um, but we, we cross over and overlap 
I think, in a number of different ways. And you wrote this book, um, you started the book around the 2020, correct? Mm-hmm. And your divorce would have been finalized at the end, around like 2010 or towards the end of no, that decade? In, in like 2018. Oh, your was, divorce was finalized in 2018. So we we split up in 2017 and it was finalized like a year later. Um, it was a bit of a slow one. <laughs> and, um, and then we, uh, I started writing a couple years after that. I wanted to give myself enough time that I would be writing from a place of hindsight where, especially because it's comedy, I wanted to be able to see it clearly and have some time pass. So the things that felt intense, some of those turned out to not be as intense as they felt. And some of them did turn out to be as intense as they felt. And I just wanted to make sure I was doing like a, a careful inventory before I picked what I was kind of going to make fun of and what I was going to take seriously in the book. When people look up books on divorce, it's usually very it's like the pendulum swing swings in such extreme uh, like categories. It is either anger, emotion, pick up the broken pieces of oneself, you know, a description of what's that Japanese, you mention it in the book and it's like the Japanese were like a vase that is broken and you put it back together and it's more beautiful. There's a word for it. We'll remember it at some point, but there is this word and it is uh, it has also been, I think everyone gets told that. That is like something that happens to everyone maybe going through a divorce. You get told that at least more than, absolutely more than once. But the first time you're like, huh. Mm-hmm. By the second or third time you go, oh, this is just what everyone is saying. It's like this beautiful anecdotal Band-Aid. Um, <laughs> but you have like that genre. And then you have this other genre over here, which is just like, ooh, get out there and reclaim your territory. And you're a cheetah and like badass, like new version of yourself. And there's not many that are just this kind of beautiful, um, you know, combine yin yang of both of those things where you are in your grief and also trying to kind of reclaim your sense of self at the same time in a kind of like a nice version. And that is where I feel like the way you reveal Maggie's, you know, experience as she walks through this process, um, that is the the line I think you walk so wonderfully in the way you tell her story. Um, did you... You started off in comedy, obviously. You said that you moved to England knowing that specifically, you know, chasing dreams of comedy is what was that what you were going there for? I went over in the first place to do um, a master's degree in early modern literature. My parents were very like, comedy is not a real job, but academia is very safe, which is um, not true. I would say both of those jobs are, are really, really <laughs> um, risky and, and in flux right now in particular. Um, so I went over to do the one and ended up doing the second, um, or I guess stayed to do the second. I finished the degree and I had a really good time doing it, but I also couldn't see myself continuing to study. It would take like seven years to get a PhD, you know, um, and I, I found this other thing that I was had always been really passionate about and kind of remembered like, oh, I I could, I guess, try, I could actually try to do it, you know, even if it is difficult. And I've read in an interview of yours that you started stand up to like make friends. Well, I had done improv and sketch and stuff in, in like university and high school. And then I moved to the UK and thought that my program would be like 12 kindred spirits who else is studying early modern literature. But I couldn't, I didn't quite, like click with anyone in my program. Um, so yeah, I just was like, how am I going to meet people in this enormous city and started, um, performing again and doing improv and sketch and stuff and made some friends that I still have now. I was really lucky. It's a very welcoming community. Yeah. And, and, and so rooted in, in storytelling, you know, I saw that it took you to, and I, I still pronounce it wrong. I think Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah. Edinburgh. Okay. I always walk the line of pronouncing it wrong, but I went last fall and just fell in love with Scotland as a whole. But Edinburgh specifically, um, I was just so, and just everywhere you went, part of like some of the tourism that you could have participated in, like was very much rooted in storytelling. There were even people who were just professional storytellers that you could hire to go to events or go to parties or take you on a walking tour. And, um, and I'd never known that so it, it's uh, what a really special opportunity to obviously not, you know, pick up where you left off and in, in, in 
creating a community of other amazingly talented, like people who are into improv and in comedy, but also in a place that really honors the root of storytelling and in captivating an audience. Yeah, I think moving away somewhere, anytime you get a chance to start over, whether it's like for positive or more difficult reasons, you get to sort of decide everything again, which can be really intimidating, but also really exciting. So when I first moved to the UK, I think I hadn't even realized the scale of what I was doing. I was like leaving everything that I knew and had, and I had to re-choose or recommit to everything that I wanted, you know, very consciously populate my life with the kind of people I wanted to be around and the kind of activities that I wanted to do and the places that I wanted to live and the, you know, the things I wanted to see and have be important to me. Um, so that was my first kind of experience starting over like that. And I feel like getting divorced in a lot of ways felt the same. How did you find your way back to Toronto then? Had you met your partner before that or? Yeah, we were long distance for a bit when I was in London. I'd known him for a really long time. Um, we were long distance while I was in London and then my visas ran out in the UK. So I went back home. Um, and we'd been together for, I think five years at that point. Um, and he was a little older than me. So we started going to tons of weddings pretty much as soon as I got back, everyone was getting married. <laughs> it's bizarre how weddings happen in seasons and then and divorces kind of happen, in, happen seasons in seasons too. and then divorces <laughs> happen in seasons. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's just watching what each other's doing and being like, that actually seems like a pretty good idea. <laughs> um, how long were you guys married? Uh, a little under two years, just under two years. We were together for like nine years, maybe eight, eight and a half years in total. So similar to within the story, it was like the entirety of your, your 20s, really. Yeah, my, my whole 20s was, was with that one person. Um, and I was really, I gave the fictional marriage a little bit longer in the, in the um, book, just to kind of dramatize what I was feeling, which was like, I don't know how to be an adult outside of this relationship. I've never done it before. Um, which was really scary. And also felt insane to realize because I thought of myself as a very together self-actualized feminist person. And then I realized that I had so much of my identity was bound up in, in this partnership and this relationship. And I, I looked to it for so much of my, like, you know, it was, it was a real guiding force in my life, that relationship in many ways, in a good way, um, for positive, but also like, I was a little shocked by the intensity of the lack that I felt after that relationship was gone. The lack of? Just like the the size of the hole that it left in my life. I think I hadn't quite realized how, how much of my time and emotional investment and interest and energy, energy in particular, was going into that relationship. And then suddenly I was just sitting there totally at a loss. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure I know what to do. I'm not sure I know what I like. I don't know how to spend my time, which was really shocking and very destabilizing. It made me feel a bit silly because I thought I thought I had a better sense of who I was in that. Yeah, there's a few things. I feel like two elements is one. I I mean, I've said this so much for anyone who listens to the podcast regularly. I know I feel like it's a manifesto at this point, but but acknowledging that our brains aren't even fully formed until we are 25 years old, generally, you know, and, and so I feel like that's been a very big thing I've looked back on is just realizing this idea of having thought that, you know, by mid to late 20s, it's like, you know, yeah, I know exactly who I am. I'm like an adult now. It's like, whereas your brain is actually just fully formed and, and its ability for like, realizing uh, good decision-making skills, which I think is just something that we should all consider more. It's so crazy that any, I can't think of anything that I chose in my early 20s that I would want to commit to for the rest of my life. Not a hairstyle, not, you know what I mean? Like, I guess my, my close <laughs> friends from high school, I still have, but we've all changed a lot and we're not asking the same thing of each other as like a romantic partnership, you know, that though we can like, spend weeks apart and just keep the group chat going. And that's enough for us. But like literally in my twenties, my early twenties, I think is the same as I am now. You know, I, I can't believe in many ways that 
everyone around me, around us, let us do it. Why are we going to all these weddings for all these 20 year olds? It's such a crazy idea. This is my big pitch though. If we let culturally, if we agreed that a 30th birthday could be like an extremely lavish event, everyone has to attend. They have to like make their excuses at work and like fly to wherever you're having the birthday and you get to spend 10 grand on your outfit and a photographer comes and everyone you love gathers around you all dressed up and does a speech about how you're on the right track in life and you're going to be just fine and they love you and maybe gives you a bit of money. We would have no weddings anymore or at least way fewer weddings and concurrently fewer divorces. I think people get excited about the idea of this adult milestone and a good party and gathering their loved ones. And it's like, it is romantic to get married, but the party is a big part of it. <laughs> the party is the huge part of it, which is insane. It's like, I remember I, I went to a friend's wedding and they did something that I thought was so beautiful and I hadn't seen it done before. And I know they didn't invent it, but they they signed the marriage contract in front of everybody. It became part of their ceremony. And it wasn't like an exciting, it, like it made the ceremony much longer, you know, <laughs> but like, mm-hmm. but it was important for them to be like, you all have to stand here and watch us sign this with people who are signing alongside of us in the hot, hot sun with no cocktail in your hand. And you're doing this with us, yeah. joining this commitment. And because it does so much become about the party and the event. And I love a freaking wedding. Like I thrive at a wedding. I love it. God, I love it. I'm I'm the jerk. I'm the asshole that always wants them to play shout, even if nobody wants to hear it. Like I love a wedding. But I also, I too, I think that what you're saying, if if that was something like a new cultural shift in a miles, you know, a celebratory milestone became just celebrating yourself without shame or, you know, mm-hmm. that that was like an appropriate thing. I agree. I think people would feel okay if like wouldn't put so much pressure on the milestone of a, a matrimony. Um, I also think what's interesting, which you did so well um, writing about in your book was that this is a new generation of you're not just divorcing someone amongst your town or the city within, that you live in. You are divorcing someone on your phone on your social media platform. You are divorcing someone within not only just your friend group that is directly around you, but like all over the place. Um, you're, you are now taking down the billboard of what was your relationship that everyone was like awing at that you've been putting up every day or every month or every year to just have everyone look at in amazement of how beautiful it looks. And you're just like slowly stripping it all down to be like, don't look over here under construction. <laughs> or <laughs> rebrand. God, taking down the billboard, that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> yeah. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Did you, did you, like, so if you were going through, you know, your divorce and separation around 2018 and you began writing in 2020, did you write down anecdotal notes of what you were experiencing at that time? Did you just remember everything? Did you have other friends that went through the divorce? Because I feel like you write about it just tonally hitting the nail right on the head. I didn't take a lot of notes. It was just that it occupied like... 70% of my waking thought for the whole year that it was happening. It took over my whole emotional state in a way that I regret and wish I had kind of like exercised a bit more control over, but I really was just like in like stewing in it for a year. So it felt very accessible to me even a couple years later because I had just been laser focused on like how bad it felt. Um, and I maybe took a couple notes here and there, but they weren't super useful, again, because I fictionalized the plot. So it was more about accessing how I had felt at the time and thinking about, particularly with Maggie, I wanted to explore some of the impulses that I had during the divorce, but didn't necessarily act out on or things that felt like, you know, it's, a, it's the great triumph of my life that I made it out of that period without cutting my hair. Um, the temptation to do a crazy, do a crazy breakup haircut was so strong. And my friends were like, you will regret it. And then you'll be sad and you'll have like a monk's haircut. So you just need to let it pass, let it wash over you. Like any of the other bad feelings, you just have to notice it, name it, and then let it go. Um, (laughs) and I, I feel like and, you know, and in the book, Maggie gives herself the haircut and bleaches her hair. And she, I think a lot of her impulses are relatable, but she does the unrelatable thing of acting out on all, almost all of them. Um, so I thought about just like, what had I wanted to do? What am I glad I didn't do? And then kind of put all of that in the novel. It was a very, it was very nice to be in a place where I felt distant enough from the actual pain feelings to be able to turn it into something funny to be able to be like, oh, that's how it happened for me, but it would be better for the story if he was a little better behaved in this way, or if I was a little better behaved in this way or whatever. Um, It felt really nice to not feel like I was writing from a place of like trying to get out what happened to me. Like I had worked through it. I had done a, a lot of therapy and a lot of talking to my friends. And then this was just like taking all of that sort of raw data of, of experience and turning it into something else. You mentioned that you look back and in just wallowing in it, but I feel like there's what other option? I mean, of course, there's like wallowing, but then there's also just like circumstantial wallowing. I mean, how can you not feel the weight and the grief of it? It is one of the more traumatic events that anyone can go through. Do you look back on that year also writing Maggie's experience and maybe have a little bit more grace for yourself? Or are you still feeling the emotional like ripple effect? I think writing Maggie was interesting because I feel I feel like I let her go a bit crazier than I let myself go. And I'm like, I wonder if it would have passed faster if I had let myself go a bit more crazy. Although if you ask my friends and loved ones, they might be like, I think you went plenty crazy. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do, I do think, I think I was kind of putting a hat on a hat a little bit in that I was feeling really bad. And then I was also feeling guilty about feeling really bad. 
and also feeling a bit embarrassed to still be feeling bad, you know, like a year on or something, I would still be like, I don't think I want to go to something. If he's going to be there, I think I'll feel sad. And that made me feel like I, like a loser, like I wasn't in control of my own feelings, but that's just how I felt. It was just sad. And I think if, if I was, if I was doing it again and thank God I'm not going to, I would, um, I would try to be a little bit less judgmental of myself for having a hard time. It's a hard experience. As you say, they say it's like death of a loved one, divorce and moving house are the three most stressful experiences in adult life. Yes. Yes. And usually when you go through a divorce, it also requires you to move and yeah. <laughs> get it up. It's, it's like, you're going to hit two or the three. You're going to hit. <laughs> it's a perfect storm. Yeah, it's the perfect storm. <laughs> it's like you have to move. You're heartbroken. You're doing a bunch of paperwork that you don't understand. You're like digging out old tax returns. It's just like every bad chore plus the thing that you thought would happen for the rest of your life isn't happening anymore. It's so, it's like on top of being devastating, it's just annoying. It's a real, it's a really uniquely crap experience. I, I wrote a little opening for this interview and I'm tax returns are a part of it. And just in, so that makes me very <laughs> giggly inside because there's so many freaking tax returns. Oh, and I don't know where they are. <laughs> don't know what any of them mean. They worked that one year, five years ago. I don't know what they'd even do now, but apparently they do a lot. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> uh, you write so beautifully about your friends and like or Maggie's friends in the book and, and also just saying that how much you leaned on them. And I think that that is something that often gets kind of brushed over in a lot of literature, self-help literature that explore the divorce area. You know, it's really leaning on yourself and, and like reframing your, your mind. And, and so reading, I think it's just, you've created this wonderful space that just shows what it actually is like, because you, you, you do need to be able to lean on people, even if people don't always know how to be there for you. And that's why I think you did a wonderful job with Maggie's friends. Do you feel like you've come out the other side now looking back of, you know, leaning on your friends, but also seeing that like, that's just part of sometimes that makes us human. We need other people in our lives. Sometimes we need a hand to hold to, to walk over, you know, walk through the, the scary tunnel and we don't want to necessarily do it by ourselves. Have you made peace with that on the other side of it? Yeah, um, totally. I think the thing with um, a lot of, you know, personal growth and self-care is that it is so focused on the individual and focused on the self. And there is lots of work you can do with yourself, but always being self-focused can really turn into being a bit isolated, I think, or turning away from um, the support that is being offered to you that's external to you. Um, and as you say, sometimes you aren't up to the task all by yourself every day. Um, and self-care is important, but so is community care. And so is accepting community care, being there for your community and letting them be there for you. And it can feel really scary and a little embarrassing to admit, like, I need help with this, or I'm, you know, struggling with this in a way that I don't think I can handle on my own. Um, but it's the, the most helpful things that, that I did during the divorce were reaching out to friends and loved ones and a therapist, like just getting, calling in reinforcements, you know, it, it just couldn't be just me. And I really wanted the novel to be like a love letter to those other support groups and those other kinds of love that are so, um, enormous and important in life and can sometimes be overlooked, as you say, I think because they're so freely given, it's not as fraught as romantic love. Um, but it's just as long lasting in many cases, longer lasting, you know, they, they're there before the boyfriend becomes your husband, becomes your ex-husband and they're there after. Um, and I just really wanted to, to celebrate that kind of love and, and to, you know, it is a bit of a love letter to my friends got me through it because um, they were amazing. And ideally, obviously, in your friend group, you take turns who who is the Maggie of that particular week or month. You know, you don't want to be the one who's the garbage tornado every single time. But I think it's really inspiring to see people turn up for each other. And it makes me want to be a better friend when they turn up for me. And 
it feels good to turn up for them. And yeah, I just, I can't say enough good things about like just turning to your friends and being like, I can't do it. (laughs) I can't do it right now. I need, I need something. (laughs) I love, uh, there's a moment where Maggie talks about wanting to buy friends, flowers for all of her friends who've been there for her and realizing she would just bankrupt herself (laughs) in, in the attempt to try to just like, express her gratitude with floral arrangements. And it is like you, you do need, you know, you, you do, you need your people. And, um, and it is also what I think is really interesting for once you, it's, it is, you know, we started this off just talking about like the the bizarre club, you know, of being divorced. But when, when you do say that you're going through it, anyone who's been there immediately like jumps out of the woodwork and is like, how are you? Like in the way that they ask means that they, but in a way that they know what you're going through because they've been there. And there is this really bizarre club of, it is this weird club where of just even just strangers, you know, where the second that they hear that word, the D word, they're just like, if you ever need anything, I'm here. If you ever have, like, it is just this new, um, like language that gets spoken amongst people that have been through a divorce. Um, did you find that for yourself when you were going through? Because you were also so young. That was the other thing that it, it must have been a bizarre experience to be so young going through a divorce because you were 28 years old. Well, that was the, the problem, I think, was that I, I didn't know anyone else who was getting divorced um, at the time. I, and so like I had all of the normal divorce feelings of isolation and shame that kind of everyone has. But then I was also looking around and I was like, oh my God, I'm the only person that's screwed up this badly in our entire city, maybe. Like I just didn't know anyone who was getting a divorce. So there's a character in the novel, um, Maggie meets a a woman called Amy, who's sort of a friend of a friend. And this ended up happening for me too. You ended up kind of getting set up with other young divorcees, not in a romantic way, but in a like, nobody really knows what to do with you. And maybe you guys can help each other way. Um, And like you say, it is just, there is just something so special to kind of like spend an evening talking, sharing notes with someone who is going through something similar. Um, And being able to find those people was a real lifeline for me. Um, and now, of course, there's way more divorced people. And with the book, I'm hearing everyone's divorce story at every book event. Um, a woman came up to me in a coffee shop the other day and was like, um, I left my husband last week. And I was like, oh, I hope you read the book and you're not just going around <laughs> telling people this in a yeah. coffee shop. <laughs> um, but I'm hearing from everyone. And I think it's so, it feels really nice to be able to... I'm assuming to, she had read the book, right? She, had, she did yeah, read the she book. Had. She did not just... Okay, okay. <laughs> she but didn't I, just go I like... I remember mm. that <laughs> of wanting yeah. to tell people and like just to spill your guts to kind of whoever. And I didn't really have anyone that I felt understood what I was going through in a very immediate way for the first like six months to a year. So being able to provide that to people who have read the book has like felt really special, actually. It's been really nice. Well, and there's no way to casually say it. Like I, I have yet to figure out like, like it is, it is mortifying. Like it is, I don't know how to just say it, you know, I, it's, it's, Hey, seeing other friends at like a birthday dinner. How are you? Fine. What's new? You know, not much. Well, you know, well, how is the, before you even ask that question, you know, I'm, I'm getting a divorce, I'm separate, but, but it's fine, but I'm great. You know, it happens. Yeah. I didn't invent the wheel. People do this all the time and I'm okay with it. I mean, it's hard. It's sad, but like it's, but it's fine. And I'm getting I'm going to get there to the other side, but right, right now I'm here. And how are you? And, and that is where I am at. And how are you? And it's so many like, caveats and excuses and it's like it's not an emergency obviously it's very sad because you don't want to seem it's it's such a like it feels almost like a public relations thing but like on a (laughs) social scale where you're like well I don't want to be too happy because that makes it seem like I'm not sad and I am sad but I don't want to be too sad because then that's pathetic and I don't want to be too angry because then I'm the jilted ex and it feels like there's like a tightrope that you're walking to try and seem normal about it when in reality, I think 
again, if I was doing it over, I would be like, um, we're separating and we're probably going to get a divorce and it's been really unpleasant, but everyone's going to be fine. You know, yes. just like a bit more, but at the time you're just, it's it, like frantic. Yeah, no, at the time, it just feels like I want to like, like wheel in a PowerPoint presentation and just with like a laser pointer and be like, so this is where we're starting. This is where we're ending. And we are done talking about it for the rest of the night. Please just ask me about my dress. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And I was like, can we just talk about the weather? Let's well, have, can we please talk about the weather? <laughs> I knew a couple who basically sent out like a, in their social group press release, they, they like composed an email together that was like, we're getting a divorce. We care about each other a lot. It's just not working. Rather than have this conversation over and over with everyone we know, we just thought we would send out an email. So, you know, and that's what's happening. And it like caused a sensation, obviously in our social group at the time, everyone was like, <laughs> this oh, is very hashtag uncoupling. <laughs> so you get the email. But then also I, when I was going through my own divorce, I was like, God, I wish we could have sent an email because you, you have to experience that kind of shame, pain, uh, projection, like self-defense cocktail every time you tell a new person yeah. until you, until people start to like gossip amongst themselves and then spread the word for you, which is yes. sort of helpful actually. Yes. Or like Vanderpump has a scandal and then everyone's talking about that instead. And then Perfect. everyone can just move on Take to more important things. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Reality television. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You were also, I have to ask about your experience writing on Schitt's Creek, which is such a beloved show, um, also a favorite of mine. And you were actually going through your divorce while writing on the show. Mm. bring in like is that hard to be able to separate what you're going through with also what I mean I know it's your job but it, it just whenever anyone watches that show everyone gets such like happy delightful feelings of just like hope and love and like you know just adoration for these really wonderful characters and so was there a juxtaposition of what you were going through in your own life and, you know, personally, and then also going professionally to write these like really hopeful, loving, peaceful stories? It was difficult. And I, I found myself a little bit resentful of how distracting it was because I really was excited to be there and wanted to be really focused. And there were definitely days where I felt like I was not as focused as I could have been, um, 
some days it was it felt easier than others. I mean, that the season where my marriage was kind of falling apart was season four, which is where David meets Patrick. So we were talking so much about like, what does it look like to meet the love of your life? You know, <laughs> what does it look like to meet someone who who sees you and understands you and and loves you without losing themselves and asks you to just be yourself and that's enough. Um, so that was interesting and kind of to like be thinking about that as I was realizing that like, oh, I'm not sure that this is working for me. Actually, the thing that I'm in is not providing these feelings. <laughs> it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like unconditional, really. But, you know, you want your head to be in the game a bit more. You don't want to be like drifting off and thinking about like, hey, and also Patrick's a fictional character. So it was they're, they're very they were separate uh, on a good day. And then they felt really connected and confusing on a bad day. But I think that's sort of true no matter what you're working on. There's always some source of stress in your life that kind of you do different levels of well at keeping out of your professional life. But that was a particularly spicy (laughs) year, I would say, for me. Just hearing you talk about that time makes me think of Maris. There's like a line that stuck out where Maris, the upstairs neighbor, is talking to, it's New Year's. And she references, she says, you need to practice walking around, living life, and being heartbroken at the same time. Because we like to think that you know, healing is done in some sort of meditative state with like, you know, bath salts and, you know, Kleenexes and Nancy Myers movies and or like long walks or, you know, trips with your girlfriends, an obscene amount of, you know, tequila and wine and some guy or gal or whoever who's just going to magically make, you know, getting your groove back in a way. <laughs> And although those are really fun ideas, and and for some, maybe that is their route. But I think that it was just so perfectly said that I feel like that that is what the most significant part of healing from any kind of heartbreak is just waking up and being able to walk through life, feeling your heart being broken and realizing, but you're still, you're living at the same time. It's just a part of who you are at that moment and it will get better. But that is what I think gets skated over so often. It's like it just kind of has to suck for a while. And I think in a way it can be kind of empowering to know that you can do that. I don't think I thought there like in the early days of my breakup, I really cocooned and kind of canceled everything and just like stayed in my house and was like, it was like I was quarantining. I was like, I'll do my two weeks. And then at the end of it, the virus will leave my body and I will go back out into the world and be fine. And I was so annoyed to discover that actually you have to just like live regular life, talk to friends, show up for your loved ones, like continue to work and live and have this like wound that is still healing. Um, but then now I'm now when I look at it, when I was thinking about writing Maggie, I was like, I think it's actually amazing that, that people can do that that they can be carrying around this very personal pain and a lot of embarrassment and shame and just still be carrying on with the rest of their tasks of daily living and like having faith that it will eventually get better. I feel like it's a bit like, I said this before, but I feel like it's kind of like food poisoning where like, you know, you've had food poisoning before, you know, it's going to pass eventually. But there's always a part at like 2 a.m. on the floor in your bathroom where you're like, I think this is going to be it for the rest of my life. I live in the bathroom now. But you just have to remember that it, even though it feels like that now, and it has felt like that for a long time, and it might feel like that for a little bit longer, it's not going to feel like that forever. And not losing sight of that is really hard, but, but like the only thing that really works to not go totally nuts, I think. I wonder often how many times a therapist has to say within one day, like, nope, this will not last forever. It will get better. Because <laughs> as someone who also is a big fan of therapy and making sure that you have, you know, comrades around you and, you know, just while you're battling your own feelings and just trying to figure it all out and, and walking through more difficult or just absolutely fine times in life. I'm a very, I really love therapy and, um, 
I just, I feel like I even had the amount of times my own therapists have had to say, like, nope, this does not last forever. <laughs> yeah. But it's so hard when you're on the floor at 2 a.m. just clutching that toilet bowl, feeling <laughs> the, like, the highest effects of it. Yeah. You're like, this is it. This is me. This no, of course is it's it. Not. I mean, it's like, and you know it's not because you thought that you were going to be with that person forever. And that ended. So obviously the way that you feel now, it makes sense. You know, things end. The thing you're processing is the fact that things end. So why can't you accept that the negative thing's going to end as well? And maybe, maybe even move on to something more positive. What is writing Maggie's story um, revealed to you about your own? That's a really good question. I think it, it showed me how, um, rigid and and a little bit ungenerous I was being with myself during that time period. So looking at those emotions and I've had some feedback from, from readers like, you know, I went into this thinking it would be, and it is funny, but I went into it thinking it would be like light because it's funny. And actually it's, it's like very difficult. Some of it to read, it's very intense. Um, and writing it, I think, I hadn't really let myself realize in the moment how intensely stressful and painful it was all feeling. I was like, just trying to like get through it um, and push past it and, and, and do it, do it right. And be, be like the most mature version of myself and not let anyone see that I was freaking out. Um, Which of course I did not even always do successfully, but I think it would have made a lot more sense to admit that I was kind of freaking out to both myself and to other people to be like, I'm being leveled by this thing instead of just like (laughs) lying on the floor, being crushed, being like, I'm fine. I'm really good. Don't worry about me. Um, I think, (laughs) I think I was, I was like too hard on myself. I don't know why I expected myself to know how to handle it. I was 28 years old and totally heartbroken. Um, and didn't have any kind of precedence in my life or role models who had been through something similar at a similar age and knew how to behave. So I was just like totally adrift and trying to pretend that I wasn't. And I don't know why it was so important to me that no one know. Of course I was. Because I think a lot of specifically women relate to that. You know, if you like, I, I think that is that is a very um, I have a feeling many women listening right now are just kind of tapping their nose going, yep, I feel that. It it felt really public. I mean, a wedding is quite public and it's, and a divorce can feel like a wedding, but like nightmare version, sort of like dark, dark opposite of a wedding, which is that you have the attention of your whole community. And instead of it being for a beautiful success and exciting future, it's for a failure that, that people don't really know what went wrong, but they know something went wrong. Um, and I think I felt like, oh God, I had, I, I told everyone, I gathered everyone I know and told them I had everything figured out and I turned out to not know anything. And now they know that. And so I think I wanted to seem like, don't worry, I'm still in control in many other ways. (laughs) Um, which again, I think letting go of that illusion of control is like such a big part of growing up anyway. And you're just a little bit too young to even know that. I hadn't even started my Saturn return. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Unless you've been through it, you really don't know. what To anyone out there listening right now who is going through a divorce or who is recently separated, what advice do you have for them? What is something that someone told you, you know, solicited or unsolicited, that stuck with you or that you look back on now and are, are grateful that that you learned through the process? When I was in the in the very earliest days of it, and there's a paraphrased version of this in the book, but when I was in the very earliest days of it and I was kind of shell-shocked that it actually happened, um, I think a lot of people, I did this and I think a lot of people do, where I was like, okay, well, I have failed at, at finding love and at being lovable and maybe love is just not for me particularly romantic love. And that's fine. I'll just be sad for the rest of my life and alone. And a friend of mine was like, listen, I'm not trying to take away 
from how sad you feel and you're going to feel sad for a long time. But it's also really going to surprise you how soon you start to feel better. You're going to find a different way of living that's going to have maybe less conflict in it or that's going to allow you to be more authentically yourself in certain ways. And you can grieve what you thought you were going to have with this person. But you are also going to wake up one day, not even very long from now, and realize that your life is not just fine, it's it's good and maybe better. And that it might not... And should, the caveat I would add to that is that that feeling doesn't necessarily last in a consistent way. But you do have days, even very, very close to the actual breakup, where you wake up and think, I think I did something difficult, but good. And I think I feel good about the fact that I did it. And I think maybe I'm moving towards something better for myself. And that feeling uh, is so exciting to wake up and feel. And so just like really try and notice it when it happens. Because um, it will probably go away <laughs> for a bit. But eventually it will start to build. And that kind of sense of hope about your own about the possibilities of your future is a really important thing to try and cultivate while you're kind of disentangling what you thought the future would look like with this person. I love that. All right. But thank you so much for your time today. I'm going to let you go, but I have one more thing. Um, I like to ask my guests just five simple kind of like word association questions. So it doesn't have to be a single word. It can just be a thought, but the first thing that pops into your mind. Okay. Something that you like? Uh, Candlelit dinners with friends. Something that you know? Everything's going to be fine, but not necessarily how you thought. Something that you hate? Um, The amount of pressure that me and every other woman I know puts on themselves (laughs) about everything. Everything. (laughs) Uh, something that you love that's not like friends or family, but something that you love. Something that I love. Uh, walking around in a city that you don't know very well with nothing to do that day, but go into little places that look interesting and sit down and eat a snack at different intervals. And then a quirky little fact about you. A quirky little fact about me. Um, a quirky fact about me. Uh, okay. The, the least likely fact about me, everyone's always like, what is that I was a snowboard instructor as a teenager. I'm like the least athletic and least really? in the world. And it's my favorite thing to tell people because they're always like, oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, I was a in Toronto. Yeah. Outside of Toronto. Or like North of Toronto. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just like, <laughs> how old are you? I was 16. You couldn't tell me anything. I thought I was so cool. (laughs) That's amazing. It is it is wild when you think of like how many people just like pay teenagers to teach them to slide down a mountain of snow with like no formal training or licensing. (laughs) It was a big scam. I was I was not very good at snowboarding. (laughs) You don't have to be that good to be better than beginners. (laughs) This is true. This is true. (laughs) Um, Monica, thank you so much for hanging out. And I lied. I actually do have one last thing. And it is just how delightful. I loved all of the listing in the book, like all the lists that you would have. And just you have to read the book to really understand it. But I do want to know in your own recovery process of, um, you know, being separated and going through divorce, did you include Bill Hader in your Google search? Was that maybe something else anytime you relate a celebrity, to? Anytime a celebrity got divorced, I took it as like a personal, like Adele got divorced a little bit too late for me to have the emergency reaction that I would have had. But if Adele had gotten divorced during my own divorce, I think I would have had a stroke. I was, so, anytime a famous person got divorced, I was like, we're going to be okay. Don't worry, Bill. It's going to be fine. <laughs> I think you're just desperate for us. These like other people who know what you're going through. And then, and then obviously your insane brain kicks in and is like, Bill Hader's divorced. Nobody knows how he feels. I know how he feels. Yeah. We're going to start <laughs> yes. an email correspondence. This is going to really go somewhere. I'm going to be writing on Barry. We're going to have a connection after an appropriate <laughs> amount of time. You know what I mean? Like you just go, one of the kind of fun things about divorce is that you 
you go a little bit insane in a fun way as well as in a sad way where you feel kind of like a mania some days where you're like, anything's possible. I'm starting over, baby. Um, and I think that was part of that. <laughs> yeah. And your fantasy, Maggie's fantasy that you wrote of uh, Harry Styles being her her new boyfriend. You got to get that into with Harry's John. <laughs> It's necessary. Like, <laughs> uh, it was just perfection. Um, so truly, I really good, actually. Congratulations. Um, your first novel. I also just in cruising the interwebs. So it said that you were working on it, like being an actual TV series, which all of my fingers and toes are crossed for this because I just love Maggie so much and I would love to see it up on the big screen. Uh, Monica, thank you so much for joining us today. Congratulations. And it's so thank lovely you. to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> This has been a Superbloom podcast, hosted by me, Candace King, produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond Imprint Productions, and advertisement partnerships with ACAST. <laughs>